Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm your host, Evan Gottesman, recording from New York. And I'm Margot Nykirk, also another host, and also recording from New York. And today we are joined by a special guest. We have, all the way from Israel, one of the creators of the program Our Boys, which you can now find on HBO, Hagai Levy. Hagai, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So Our Boys, the show that you helped to create, tells the story of the events of the summer of 2014 in the area around Jerusalem, particularly the aftermath of the kidnapping and murder of the three Jewish teenagers in the West Bank, and then the kidnapping and murder of a Palestinian teenager, Mohammed Abu Qadir, in Jerusalem. So for our listeners and for those who might not recall, can you just set the scene and give us a refresher laying out some of the background of what the show is about. The summer, should I say the bloody summer of 2014, you can't start the story with the kidnapping of three Israeli kids, as you said, in the West Bank. For three weeks, almost three weeks, the whole country were looking for them, praying, hoping, really obsessed, all the media all the time. And then they've been found dead. Apparently they were shot just after the kidnapping. So there was a lot of Anger, rage, grief. They were kidnapped by Hamas agents, right? Yeah, sort of. You know, he was kind of connected to them, but not uh, formally a Hamas person. But uh, they were true brothers from Hebron who did did it. So then there was a funeral and it was, you know, again, kind of a national scene in Israel. People like knew them, you know, over all these weeks. So felt like it's, it's a family member who died. And then also... Quite aggressive riots started in in Jerusalem, calling for revenge. That was a hard night in Jerusalem. And the morning after, uh, a body of a young Palestinian kid from Shuafat named Muhammad Abu was found in a forest, in Jerusalem forest, in the city, just in the west side of the city. And after quite short investigation, it's been found that three Israeli people, like one person who's 28 and two his two of his nephews who were minors, 16 and a half, are the people who committed the crime. He was also found burned to death, actually. So that was quite shocking as well to the whole society of Israel. And a couple of days later, a war started in Gaza in connection to that event in a way that Hamas from Gaza started to uh, or continued to throw rockets uh, on Israel but much more, and then Israel reacted, bombing Gaza from the air and then from the field. More than 2,000 people were killed in that war. Basically, that was the story of these three months from June to September of 2014. Obviously, this is a very emotionally fraught topic for a lot of people in Israel, uh, Jewish Israelis, for Palestinians. And this show has not been without controversy, the portrayal of these very serious events. Perhaps the most famous or infamous criticism came from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu himself, who described the show as anti-Semitic. I've, I've watched it. I, I disagree with that assessment. But what do you think of that this backlash and maybe other comments that you've received say about the internal discourse in Israel itself in the five years since the uh, summer of 2014? I think people expected the series to be about the three Jewish kidnapped kids. That was the expectation for many reasons. I mean, it looks to the people of Israel quite obvious that that will be the topic of the series. 
for the few words you could read about it over the years, perhaps you could get such an impression. So I think when people realize that this series, that this event is more the background of the series, and then the series focuses on the other murder, which is the Muhammad Abu Khdils, where they were disappointed, and then and then ask himself or ask us, so why would you do that? You know, why would you tell the other story and not that story? That is criticism that I could I could understand. I have answer to that question, but of course it can be understood. And why did you choose to focus on the Abu Qadir story? Obviously, it's very important and it's a very good portrayal of these events. But it seems like a natural question among Israelis who might be more intimately familiar with the kidnapping and murders of the three boys as opposed to the Abu Qadir murder. I could answer for myself. You know, I have two more partners which is Joseph Cedar, writer and director, and also Tawfiq Abu Wild, who is a Palestinian, Israeli-Palestinian, who is still the third part of this, the third creator of this series. So I think I can speak for me and Joseph. We wanted to to tell a story about our society, you know, and we, in our way to tell a story about our society is to look inside our own soul and to make like kind of internal investigation in what's happening with the Israeli society and not dealing with, with the Palestinian society, which we don't feel responsible and we don't know enough about it. So we wanted to understand what could bring quite normative people, and especially one of them, who is really kind of a, a good boy to make such horrific uh, murder. That was a, a question that really bothered us, and we really wanted to find it out to understand how could it happen. So that was the motive, you know. Um, we could make, of course, another series when we are trying to understand the motives of the Palestinian terrorists, right, who killed the three boys. But that we felt this is not of our interest. This is the very, the very simple answer to that, which is we try to understand the hate crime that happened within among our society. I guess Tawfiq would say that he wanted to tell this story because. He feels that it's important to bring the voice of the people who are under occupation, right? That's very natural for him, I guess. I want to quickly touch upon another character who I was particularly drawn to as well in the show, Shimon, who is a Shin Bet character. And at the end, there's some mention that it's not based on a real character, but a composite of various personalities. You sort of portray him as, or the show sort of portrays him as typical Israeli security establishment, but with a level of sympathy. So he was particularly drawn to Abishai, who had these mental health issues. He's one of the murderers of Mohammed Abu Qadir. What was the purpose of drawing this level of sympathy in someone who is part of an establishment or represents the establishment? So since it was based like on the real events, we didn't invent much on that case. So Simon, and that's quite real. He came from basically the same background as Abishai, and specifically people we, we met in the Shetapak at the same time, including the one who was the head of the division by the time, came from the same background. So hence the sympathy or empathy. But it's, it's more than that. You know, it's like it represents, I think, our reaction when we saw first the reenactment of the murder by Abishai, who is not, uh, it's not his real name, but this guy, 16 and a half, reenactment of the crime. And we ourselves kind of, you know, fell in love with him within five minutes. He's, he's very cute. He's smart. It's a mystery. You know, you see a boy that you could really just want to embrace him and then to understand why would he do that. So we couldn't do that without 
the empathy that we felt. Having said that, you know, we are trying to understand his responsibility for what happened much more than our empathy for him. And I think the series, especially in the last episode, trying to say something about his responsibility, in spite of everything that he can say, maybe he had problems and maybe he was dragged into it and blah, blah, but he was there and he's responsible. So that ambivalency really reflects our own reaction of the real guy that we, we've seen. Going back to the basis uh, with Shimon, you know, he's still someone who's coming out of the Shin Bet, which Palestinians may perceive to be an oppressive force or an element that they ha- have maybe negative feelings toward. There's an undercurrent in the series where the Abu Qadir family and some of their neighbors start making this argument that the investigation and the trial against the murderers, their son, is just a performative exercise to show off Israel's liberal democracy and make it look good in the eyes of international observers. So along those lines, have you heard any criticism or or any comments from people, Palestinian viewers, Arab viewers, who object to a sympathetic portrayal of a security officer, someone coming out of the Israeli intelligence community? Actually not. You know, Taufik was uh, especially in contact with, you know, with the reaction of from the Palestinian street, from the Palestinian society, and they actually really loved the series. Um, and felt that uh, it's quite fair enough presentation of the real picture. So, yeah, you could argue, and and it is argued in the series itself that this is like uh, you know just to show off some kind of. But but it's not actually the case because these people are in jail. They were found very very fast. A lot of resources were really a lot of police officers and Shabak officers and many many people who made the effort to find them very very quickly and. They were convicted quite fast, and uh, although they had mental issues, they are in jail for many, many years, all of them. So by the end, I think the Palestinians are quite okay with, including the family itself, what parts from the series. The Abu Qadir family throughout the series, regardless of the final result of the trial and the investigation, which of course, as you mentioned, is the uh, conviction of all three participants in the murder, including both the, I guess, the mastermind of the act, Yosef Chaim Ben David, and his two accomplices who were minors, so they have aliases in the show. But with all that aside, the Abu Qadir family still seems to occupy a sort of strange space in Israeli society because they live in East Jerusalem, and they're permanent residents of Jerusalem or of Israel, not citizens. And they live in an area that might look a lot different from the Jerusalem that Western or American tourists experience and what a lot of Jewish Israelis might experience. I mean, the Shuafat neighborhood is right next to the Shuafat refugee camp. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious, before this horrific event, before this murder happened and the Abu Qadir family is drawn into the justice system and, and they have to go through the process, what are the regular interactions between someone who lives in that part of East Jerusalem and people who live in what we might think of as Israel proper and vice versa, someone who lives in West Jerusalem or, or Israel proper and someone in East Jerusalem. Are we really looking at a united city? How close are the connections between the people there? For those events, before summer of 2014, the city was, I wouldn't say united, but it was more united than it is today, for sure. 
Israelis went a lot to Shuafat to buy, to eat. The Abdir family has a shawarma space where a lot of Israeli uh, were going to eat and a lot of people bought electronics from Hussein Abdir. I think Israel went a lot and, and vice versa. A lot of Arabs from East Jerusalem worked in West Jerusalem. After that, Jerusalem is much, much more divided. You don't go there regularly if you don't have to. And there is a lot of tension in East Jerusalem, much more than it used to be before. It's an ongoing story, the story of the Arabs in Jerusalem, especially in East Jerusalem. It's kind of a circle of, of uh, violence that parts erupt here and there every every year, every two years, there is another small intifada. Their situation is, of course, terrible, you know, And but it's all of the Palestinians who live in the West Bank, you know, and in the occupied territories are, are living under occupation. So, yeah, I, I guess it's specific for the people of Jerusalem who can see the other side of the city, which is like open and they have a lot of health services and social services that they don't have. So it's much more frustrating. Going off of this tension, I want to touch upon how in the show, Mohammed ends up on the list of victims of terror on Mount Herzl. Now, typically, it's Jewish victims of terror that end up there. And so this drew a lot of controversy from both his family and from his family social circle, as well as from Jewish Israelis. Can you talk a bit more about the different ways that Israel and Israel's justice system addresses Jewish versus Palestinian extremism? There is there are two law systems in, in the West Bank, actually, right? There is one law system for the Israeli citizens that live there, and there is totally another a law system for the Arabs, for the Palestinians who live there, who are not citizens, uh, as you know. I cannot go into very, very detail, but it's totally different justice system that works there, and that creates something that is, you know, I wouldn't say apartheid at all. Uh, I wouldn't say that, but it's on the spectrum of apartheid in a way that people live there and they don't have their rights because they're Arabs. So that's the way it is. So the settlers are getting a part of the Israeli legal system and the Palestinians are not. This is, this is the way it is. Following up on that, so Mohammed Abu Qadir's father, Hussein, ha- tries towards the end to have the houses of the murderers demolished by the Israeli authorities, which the Israeli authorities typically do vice versa. Can you also elaborate a little bit more to our listeners? About that exactly? Yeah, this is a discussion that was, you know, it, it happened in the real story that the family of Abu Khadir uh, demanded to destroy the killer's house. Supreme Justice Court says there is no reason for that. I could understand that in a way that uh, demolishing is not really a punishment in the Israeli legal system, but it's more like a way of message to the people to not do that, you know. So it is understood in a way that you shouldn't, that in, in the Israeli society, 99% of the Israeli society condemned and were shocked and were disgusted by this crime, this horrific crimes. So you could argue that the message is there and that you don't need to do more and as such as demolish people's house to make this point. Not to mention that this is usually you hurt people who didn't make the crime themselves. It is a terrible thing to do to Palestinians themselves, you know. Answer could be not to do it both ways and not like doing it for for both sides. This is another case of double standard. The way that it seemed to be portrayed was that it was as much to get justice for the son from Muhammad Abu Qadir 
as it was to prove a point, because as you mentioned, the murders were roundly condemned in Israeli society versus that Israelis might make the case that there is more widespread incitement in Palestinian society. The way that Hussein seems to frame the question in the series is that it comes down almost to a matter of the rule of law and a uniform standard when they ask the prosecutor, why did he represent the state in a case where a Palestinian terrorist's home was demolished? He said the Palestinian terrorists lived in the West Bank. And Hussein shoots back. He says, well, settlements are in the West Bank also. So in the five years since these events took place, there's been more of a march, I think, in the Israeli political discourse toward West Bank annexation, talk of integrating all or part of the West Bank formally into Israel, presumably settlements. And that would seem to bring into sharper relief the questions like what Margot just raised about how the home of a Hamas terrorist and their family home is demolished or treated by the Israeli authorities versus the way a Jewish criminal or extremist might be treated if the Israeli government is going to make the case that this is all one political unit, that the West Bank or parts of the West Bank are part of Israel. Right. Well, that would be a disaster in so many other aspects that, of course, this is only one of them. Absolutely. It would be certainly really terrible eventuality. And and there are a whole lot of other ramifications, not only the legal, but also economic and and social and political fallout. Uh, Speaking of the political angle, I wanted to talk about a little bit uh, the politicization of the events in this show and certainly the uh, revenge attack and an attack based on, on ethnicity is inherently political, but things seem to cascade. There is a tension between the Abu Qadir family and some of their neighbors who want them mm-hmm. to take a certain approach to this case. Some don't want them working with the state attorney, with the prosecutor. Also on the flip side, I don't know that this was addressed in the show, but we know that, for example, there is a Israeli legal aid NGO, uh, Honenu, which gave a lot of money to the legal defense of Abu Qadir's killers. So how have the families involved in this case, both the Abu Qadir family and the families of Muhammad's murderers, become politically involved in the years since? I mean, knowing that the series ends with the last episode with the Abu Qadir family in Turkey, kind of on a speaking tour to talk about a lot of the issues that we've talked about here and the issues surrounding their son's murder. What was exactly the question? Sorry. So in the years since the events of 2014 and the murder of Muhammad Abu Qadir, how have the families involved in this case, both the Abu Qadir family and the families of Muhammad's murderers, become right. politically involved at all? The Abu Qadir family became the family of the most famous Shahid, uh, Palestinian Shahid ever, in a way, you know. So they became a very political family. It's a process that is described in the series in a way how a very simple electronic merchant become a political figure, almost a political leader. So they are still involved in a lot of, I wouldn't say political, but they are kind of a symbol and they play their role in the way that they are attending a lot of ceremonies and they support other victims, other Palestinian victims. So they are, this is their story. They are the family of Abu Khadir. They, they are basically, this is what they are doing. 
the families of the killers, of the Jewish killers, are under any radar possible. They left their homes after the case or during the a couple of days after the, the murder because they didn't want people to know that they are connected somehow to this crime. And they are still, people don't know their names and they didn't want to cooperate with us on the series, uh, obviously. So we don't know actually what are, even we don't know what is the reaction to the series because they never, they refuse to be in touch with us or to, to cooperate with the series. There's obviously a lot of sensitivities surrounding everything that's portrayed here. Going back to what you were saying about Abu Qadir's, the Abu Qadir family and their ascent into the kind of center spotlight of Palestinian political life, there's a brief depiction in the show of outreach from Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas to the Abu Qadir family. Yeah. Did the family develop any kind of relationship with the PA uh, since the events portrayed in the series? And also, did any other Palestinian political parties or movements try to establish a relationship with them? I mean, we see, for example, the riots portrayed in the series. And you mentioned earlier this idea that every so often there's like a mini intifada in this area. Is that spontaneous or are these events the result of relationships and inroads that are being made by Palestinian political movements in these areas? Right. Well, first, I don't think there is any connection today. Or I, I know that there isn't between the families and the, author- the Israeli authorities. They are totally, you know, even not with District Attorney Korb, who were, they developed really strong connection during the, the trial, but not afterwards. They, they are not, I think, they're not in touch with any specific Israeli authorities, although you could hear from them, from Suha, for instance, the mother, he participated in some NGO, Israeli NGO organization, and said things about how, you know, we should stop shading bloods of both sides and how it is terrible for any mother to lose a child. Uh, exactly as the mother of one of the three Israeli kidnapped said when she heard about the murder. So you could see some signs of optimism. Uh, this is an organization uh, like the Parent Circle? Maybe? Yeah, well, I don't know exactly what kind of, yeah. It Some, was something like that. Connect, yeah, something connected to that forum in a very special event that took place. Uh, I think it's a woman, it's a woman organization, an event that took place like two or three years ago. So that was a very strong performance by her. who didn't get enough publicity, I think. And the situation is in Jerusalem is still very, very hard. From time to time, there is another idiot who decides to go to the Temple Mount, and then that creates another riot and another round of terror. What happened mainly uh, over the last year, and what we call the mini intifada, is a special intifada where people are basically committing suicide by running into the soldier with just a knife or anything, knowing that the soldier will kill them. You know, and a lot of them are minors, so that become very tragic and not any better, of course. And just going back to the beginning, I mentioned again that, that there's a brief depiction of outreach from the Palestinian Authority, from President Mahmoud Abbas to the Abu Qadir family. So is there still a relationship there? Did any kind of long-term relationship develop between the family and the PA? And what do you think it says also that, again, this is a family that has Israeli permanent 
uh, residency, lives in East Jerusalem, and the PA is making outreach to them, as opposed to, again, you mentioned that there is no long-term relationship that they forged with the Israeli authorities. I don't know much about the Palestinian side right now of the story. You know, I don't know if they are uh, uh, in touch with Mahmoud Abbas or with anyone else. I do know that Abbas himself is kind of a target to a lot of criticism among Palestinians. And even in that case, they claim that he didn't do enough. So there is all this internal politics in the Palestinian Authority, which I'm not very familiar with. Just to wrap it up, for our viewers in America, some audience members, if this is their first opportunity to really look at Israel in terms of the conflict, in terms of the tensions that go on between the Palestinians, and between Israelis, between the complex situation on the ground in Jerusalem. What is the main message or the final message that you want viewers to take away from this series? What are you ultimately trying to portray? What's the one message you want them to take away? The one message is that it's very complicated. You know, it's funny to say, but this is what we basically try to say in a way that if you think you know something about it, you should know that it's much more complicated in a world that everyone has a very firm opinion about things that he doesn't understand anything about. So we wanted to show that even that hate crimes, they have a lot of layers and from both sides, you know, and what could look very cruel and an unbelievable uh, terror attack, you could find that there is a lot of complexity behind it. And that, that goes the same for Palestinian terrorists and for uh, for Israeli terrorists. You know, so many Israel, so many Palestinian terrorists over the last years are people with, with mental problems, for instance. That's very, very normal. So this is one thing. And I think the other thing that we wanted to show, and I think that did something, I think, with that series, is to show that the grief of the other side is exactly the same as our side. When they saw the very simple and deep grief of the family of Abukhdir, they didn't have the chance to meet this kind of bereaved family, like so many Israelis' bereaved family. And that is something that we wanted to let them experience. And I think that that really comes through. And I, I really want to encourage any of our listeners who haven't had an opportunity to watch this program yet to take a chance to watch it because the complexities of the situation really do come through. And I, I think, Hagai, that you and your colleagues did a really excellent job of putting on a humanizing portrayal of everyone involved in these events. No one feels like a caricature or a stereotype. And I think that for those who are looking to understand better all the different facets of the Israeli-Palestinian relationship. Those people who are so against the series and all the attacks of the series from people who people who watched only the first or second episodes, uh, people who continue to watch, even people from the right wing, you know, when they continue to watch and when they understood from fourth, fifth episode and on what we're trying to do and to show, their criticism completely reduced and even they were for the series. So I think it's very important for people who watch it just to continue watching it because the beginning is only the beginning. That's the, the problem of our, our day and age now, people just read the headline or you just read the yeah. first paragraph. So, And the events that you show in the series uh, develop. So things change and perceptions change even among yeah. the individuals portrayed in the show. So absolutely, I think that's uh, 100% right. So you can find Our Boys, at least in the United States, you can find it on HBO. So uh, if you want to learn more and check out the series, you can find it there. Hagai, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Really appreciate the opportunity. 
Thank you. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Israel Policy Pod. And we will catch you next week.